Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the I Can't Sleep Podcast with Benjamin Boster. If you're tired of sleepless nights, you'll love the I Can't Sleep Podcast. I help quiet your mind by reading random articles from across the web to bore you to sleep with my soothing voice. Each episode provides enough interesting content to hold your attention and then your mind lets you drift off. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. That's I Can't Sleep with Benjamin Boster. We hear about ghost stories and hauntings all the time. They're shared by campfires and told in the nighttime in order to maximize their effectiveness. While the majority of the tales are nothing more than stories meant to scare, sometimes they originate from something very real. These are four extremely terrifying and scary real hauntings. Number four, the Myrtles Plantation. Mention the American South and you'll picture large plantation houses. These iconic structures embody the beauty of the American home and many also hold a unique past. One such home is the Myrtles Plantation. It was built in 1796 by lawyer Whiskey Dave Bradford. The plantation was passed down to his daughter Sarah and her husband Judge Clark Woodruff. The property has withstood the test of time and has seen wars come and go, switch between multiple owners, and also experience several deaths. It's these deaths and the souls of the spirits that remain that is dubbed the Myrtle Plantation as one of the most haunted homes in all of America. The house is said to be haunted by about 12 ghosts, 
some of which died on the property while others are strongly associated to the home and families that live there. One of the most prominent stories is that of a servant slave named Chloe. Chloe worked on the property for some time and was promoted to be a house slave. Her job was to take care of the judge's family, including Sarah and her three young children. She was a young and pretty girl who soon caught the eye of the womanizing judge and became his mistress. But the judge had a wandering eye and soon he grew bored of her. Sensing the lack of attention, she feared she would be sent back to the fields, so she started eavesdropping on the family to see if she could find any information to help leverage her status. One evening, she was caught, and one of her ears was ordered to be cut off as punishment, and from then on, she would wear a green turban to hide the injury. Afraid she would have to do backbreaking labor again, she devised another plan. This time, she baked a cake containing traces of oleander poison, hoping to make the family slightly ill so she could nurse them back to health and be praised for her work. But she miscalculated and put too much in, and Sarah and her young children died as a result. The judge, along with the youngest, Mary, managed to survive because they didn't need any. Chloe told another slave about what she had done, and fearing the reprisal of the judge against all the slaves, they turned Chloe in. She was promptly hanged on a tree the next day, and afterwards her pockets were filled with stones and her body dumped in the river. It didn't take long for stories of Chloe's ghost to start circulating among the slaves and residents that continued to live in the house. Many have reported seeing a woman in a green turban walking around the grounds, appearing in mirrors, and also in the dining room where she had killed the family members originally. For non-believers, some say there is concrete proof that she is in fact a spirit that haunts the property. Her most famous appearance is captured in a photograph taken back in 1992. An insurance company required pictures for the property's appraisal. When the images were developed, they noticed a shadowy figure standing between the general store and the butler's pantry. It looks to be a figure of a woman, a slave girl with a turban on her head. The plank sideboards of the home can even be seen through her, and when National Geographic studied the image, they concluded it was certainly a picture of a figure, and that the proportions of the shadow coincide with that of a person. Number 3. Tale of Resurrection Mary Chicago is a large city with its fair share of haunted houses and creepy graveyards, but one terrifying ghost haunts the highway of the area and she is known locally as Resurrection Mary. More than three dozen people have encountered, seen, and even spoke with Mary over the years, and they all report similar accounts. One such is that of Jerry Paulus, in 1939 who was at a local dance hall when he spotted a beautiful girl. He approached her and they spoke, laughed, and danced for hours, he described her as rather quiet and also noticed she was cold to the touch. He offered to take her home and she asked to be taken to Archer Road. She asked to be left off at Resurrection Cemetery, even though earlier she had said she lived somewhere else. Jerry obliged and after he pulled over by the graveyard, she got out and he watched her inexplicably vanish right before his eyes. The next day, he drove to the address that she had told him she lived at and knocked on the door. An older woman answered and he asked if he could see her daughter, but she replied he couldn't, 
since she had died five years earlier. In 1979, a cab driver named Ralph said he picked up a young girl who was about 21 years old with blonde hair near a shopping center on Archer Avenue. While driving, the girl suddenly yelled at him to stop, indicating she was getting off. When he hit the brakes, he asked where because he couldn't see any houses nearby. The girl stuck out her arm, pointed across the road, and said, There. He turned to look and saw there was a small shack, and then he turned back to find that the girl was gone. She just vanished, and the car door never even opened. Over three dozen people have been interviewed about their experiences with Resurrection Mary, and experts across the board agree that the witnesses are credible, ordinary people with no reason to fabricate a story. But the real identity of Mary still remains elusive. Some point to the fact that it could be a 21-year-old girl named Mary Brigovi, who had died in a traffic accident in 1934. She loved dancing and was buried in her favorite white gown and shoes in Resurrection Cemetery along Archer Avenue. There are also those who believe that the ghost is that of Anna Mariha Norkis, who had died in an accident in 1927 while she was on her way home from the O. Henry Ballroom. Whoever she is, sightings and reports of Resurrection Mary still continue even today. Number 2. The Lorry House in New Orleans It's one of the most famous places in New Orleans. The LaLaurie House has lived on in infamy not just for its beautiful historical structure, but also for what went on inside. Owned by Madame Delphine McCarthy, who is better known as Madame LaLaurie after she remarried, the house sits on a corner in the French Quarter of New Orleans. The family first moved in in 1832. Madame LaLaurie was among the most influential French Creole ladies in the city, known for her business skills, beauty, and wealth. Her two daughters were among the finest-dressed girls in the city, and her family was well-respected. The home on 1140 Royal Street was a hot spot for social activity. It was a three-story mansion that looked like a plain, boxy corner home from the outside, but inside it had lavish interiors with bright parlors sporting hundreds of candles and grand chandeliers. The furniture and fabrics used were imported from overseas and the guests only dined on fine china. Madame LaLaurie often pleased her guests, smiled and made them feel comfortable. But of course, this was just the side she allowed people to see, and there was something darker always going on just out of sight. To run the home, she needed dozens of slaves to work for her. At that time, slaves were treated no less than animals, but the madam's treatment went far beyond that. People around the neighborhood often noticed her slaves coming and going. They would just be replaced without much ado, not knowing where the others had gone. Those in town also noticed that her slaves always looked so disheveled and stressed compared to the elegance she exhibited with everything she put forth. Apparently, it was the madam's behavior that caused such distress. One day, her neighbor, while in his home, heard a scream from the Lori house. When he looked, he saw Madame chasing a young 12-year-old slave girl with a whip. The child was so frightened that she climbed to the roof and jumped to her death trying to get away. Back then, a New Orleans law prohibited the cruel treatment of slaves. So because of this, Madame LaLaurie was investigated, and all of her slaves were removed and put up for auction. 
Unfortunately, she secretly bought every single one back with the help of a family member. Stories about her cruelty soon circulated and guests from polite society started to decline her invitations. Then in April of 1834, a fateful fire broke out inside. When help arrived, they first found the cook chained to the kitchen stove. She admitted later on that she started the blaze to try and commit suicide because she was afraid of the repercussions from the madam. The fire spread through the house and caused massive damage, but it was successfully put out. Firemen discovered a locked door in the attic and broke it down. What they found inside was utterly horrific. A dozen or so male and female slaves were hidden up there, malnourished and uncared for. Some were stuffed inside dog cages, others were strapped to crude tables or chained up against the walls. Some of them were unconscious, others were even dead. Those that could speak groaned for help or to even be put out of their misery. Most of them had been mutilated with their fingernails ripped off from the root, their eyes gouged out and some men had been castrated. Another woman had her mouth filled with animal feces and then it was sewn shut. The first responders could not bear to look at the site and a doctor was called immediately. When news of what they had discovered broke out, a mob soon formed outside the LaLaurie home and they howled for vengeance. Before they could do anything, a carriage burst forth from the driveway. In it were the family members fleeing. The mob sacked and destroyed the home anyways, hoping to bury the terrible incidents that happened there. After it was left abandoned, the stories of hauntings began to plague the home. It was left in disrepair, but those who lived nearby would hear agonizing screams from inside at all hours, and soon frequent sightings of slave apparitions in the yard and balconies were reported. A man who bought the home in 1837 only stayed in it for three months because he kept hearing groans and strange noises at night. He tried to lease it to tenants, but the same thing happened to them. For decades, owners and tenants would come and go, all experiencing inexplicable occurrences within the home. By the 1890s, immigrants came and the home was restructured to become apartments with the reports of hauntings continuing on. Today, it's been converted into an upscale apartment complex. More recently, the owners discovered another makeshift grave at the flooring near the back of the home. It was believed to be the remains of one of the madam's victims. As for Madame LaLaurie herself, Many say she and her family fled to Paris, where she eventually died. Others whisper that they lived low-key on the outskirts of New Orleans. She was never tried for her crime, so it's possible she might have had another horror home somewhere aside from this one. Number 1. Bachelor's Grove Cemetery the Bachelor's Grove Cemetery looks like any ordinary graveyard. Worn-out gravestones peek from the earth here and there, while the surrounding area is covered with trees. The grounds around the cemetery were once home to immigrant settlers. It's asserted that the first burials there happened around the 1840s. However, others suggest that the land had been used as a burial site for German immigrant workers who got killed on the job as early as the 1830s. This place is also believed to be a favorite dumping ground for Chicago mobsters during the 1930s and 40s. 
A small lagoon in the back was said to be the place for hitmen to kill and dump snitches or anybody that crossed them. Regardless of its origins, the cemetery over the years has become a hotbed for paranormal activity. Those who bravely wandered through it report seeing orbs and apparitions surrounding the grounds. Several witnesses who have walked its gravel road have claimed seeing a phantom farmhouse that's in excellent condition and that it inexplicably disappears before their eyes. During the 1870s, a farmer and his horse died while plowing the land near the water's edge. Witnesses say they've seen their ghosts still plowing the same area. However, the most famous sighting in the cemetery is that of the White Lady, a figure dubbed as the Madonna of Bachelor's Grove. She's known to walk around the cemetery, particularly during the full moon. She's dressed in white and believed to have been buried next to her son, as she is sometimes seen with a child. Another famous captured ghost image is that of a woman sitting on one of the headstones. The image was taken by Mary Huff using a high-speed infrared camera while on site during a daylight investigation. Nobody else was in the area at the time, but when she developed the image, she couldn't believe what she saw. The lady was dressed in complete white. Her figure seemed translucent in the image, as if you could see right through her. She's not looking straight into the camera, but instead out into the distance, as if she's pondering something. The image became so famous it was reported in the Chicago Sun-Times. Other witnesses have said they've seen a ghost of a man walking around. He's often seen from the waist up as he's around high shrubs. An image of him was recently captured and it showed what looks like a man in a white shirt comfortably standing by the woods. Today, security is tight in the area, especially at night, because vandals and trespassers have wanted to experience its famous hauntings for themselves. There are, however, organized ghost hunts conducted by people hoping to catch a glimpse of the cemetery's famous inhabitants. So there were four extremely terrifying and scary real hauntings. With so many people experiencing such strange occurrences, it's hard to believe that they could all be made up out of thin air. Perhaps, and possibly even more likely, something is left behind here on Earth after someone has passed away. If you like this video, then please subscribe to our channel because we have new videos coming out every single week for you to check out. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you soon.